Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is song doctor Molly Lakin. First of all, let's talk about some song codes that every songwriter and artist should know about. And these are ISRC and ISWC codes. Now, most artists, most songwriters, most musicians are familiar at least with ISRC. That stands for the International Standard Recording Code. It helps identify individual sound recordings or master recordings pretty much around the world. It's a unique 12-character alphanumeric code, and it's usually assigned by a record label or distributor like TuneCore, and even a DIY artist to a specific recording performed by the artist or a band. Now, every version of a song needs a new ISRC code. So if you have five different edits or five different remixes, they each need their own ISRC. That means you need five different ISRCs. On the other hand, the code that most musicians and songwriters and artists aren't all that familiar with is the ISWC. That's the International Standard Musical Work Code. This is an 11-character alphanumeric code that identifies individual song compositions rather than recordings. An ISWC is usually assigned by a collection agency, or it could be a publisher that assigns it. It tracks the song title, it tracks the songwriters, it tracks the music publishers, and the corresponding ownership shares, which is really important. Now, unlike ISRC codes, there's only one ISWC code that's assigned to the composition. In other words, there's only one copyright that gets the ISWC. So you can have five different covers or 10 different covers, but they still use that one single ISWC code. ISRCs are kind of interesting because they come from a label or a distributor, but you can also get them and assign them yourself. And you can get that by going to usisrc.org. You pay a one-time fee of $95, and that one registration code will allow you to sign up to 100,000 ISRCs per year. And this registration code is yours for life. So ISRC codes and ISWC codes are really important metadata because you have to know them and you have to get them right when you submit everything in order to get paid later on. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now, what if you could create a baseline that was so powerful that it crashed computers? Believe it or not, this has been done before. Yeah, a baseline that crashed computers, and not only the computer that was playing it, but all the computers around it as well. This came from Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation, which was a song from 1989, and it would crash laptops every time it played. How could that happen? 
Well, it turns out that the bass line of the song replicated the resonant frequency of the hard drive. Now, let's go back for a second because this song was in E. So you might think, well, wait a second, why doesn't all the other rock and blues songs that are based in E, why didn't they crash computers as well? Now, if you look at the frequency chart, we find out the low E is 82 hertz. But in this case, the low E was 84.2 hertz. The reason why was, as is the case many times, the song was sped up during mastering because it felt better at a slightly higher pace. As a result, the low E of Rhythm Nation matched the resonant frequency of the common hard drives used in laptops at the time. Now, interestingly enough, there are videos in YouTube that show data center employees yelling into a hard drive bay to see if they could disrupt the drives. Well, this is obviously not a good thing for laptop manufacturers, so in order to get around it, what they did was they put a custom filter in to attenuate that frequency on laptops. And now we don't have to worry about it all that much because we don't have laptop drives with spinning platters anymore for the most part. They're all solid state. So that magic, most powerful bass line no longer exists. My guest this week is professional song doctor Molly Lakin, whose coaching has helped 12 clients become Grammy winners and another 19 become Grammy nominees. Molly has also been a staff writer at Almo Music, Interworld Music, and Chapel Music. She's written songs for and with everyone from Katy Perry to Placingo Domingo to Cher, Tina Turner, and Murray, Billy Preston, and many others. An Emmy nominee, she's written themes and songs for dozens of TV shows and movies, including Violet, which won an Oscar. She's also the author of the books How to Write a Hit Song and How to Be a Hit Songwriter, and producer of the best-selling Masterclass in Songwriting, which is a collection of masterclasses she taught at UCLA. Her latest book is Insider Secrets to Hit Songwriting in the Digital Age. During the interview, we spoke about being a staff writer for a publisher, the most common song problems, writing for the current marketplace, the process of creative songwriting, and much more. I spoke with Molly via Zoom from her office in Santa Barbara, California. Let's go back to the beginning. Tell me how you get into the business. What's your background? When I was in college at the University of Toronto, I uh, learned to play the baritone ukulele. Now, at that time, everybody was rocking guitars, but my fingers are too short to deal with the six-string guitars. So somebody taught me to play the baritone ukulele. Much to the chagrin of all the young women in Whitney Hall, especially in Cody House, because I was playing day and night, and sometimes I hit the right notes, but it's rare. And it was so outrageous, my roommate quit school altogether. <laughs> and several, several of the other young ladies on our floor uh, switched to different universities. They just couldn't stand the noise. So I'm used to people saying, shut up there. And uh, I was born in Canada and I lived in a house where radios were for news only. 
Well, I was addicted to pop music and I listened to WKBW in Buffalo, New York at night because the airwaves were clear enough so I could hear. And I knew every song, I knew every lyric, I knew every background part, I knew every singer, I knew the DJs. And I had to be a songwriter. When I graduated from college, I went to back home to my father's house and sat in the garden and played my ukulele and wrote new songs. And he came storming down the hill afterward. Do you mean to tell you, do you mean to tell me I sent you to college so that you could sit here and play that damn banjo for the rest of your life? I said, yeah, that's pretty much it. So with all that negativity going on, one winter when there was a blizzard and the temperature was 58 below zero, and I know it, you cringe just thinking about it. I got in my little dented VW, red VW with a leaky sunroof and drove through the storm to LA. And in LA, there were people everywhere writing songs. And I thought, this is my home. And every Friday afternoon, at three o'clock on Hollywood Boulevard, there was an open meeting for songwriters hosted by Warner Brothers Music. And anybody could come, just come. So I went. And every week there was a blackboard with a huge list of which artists need what kind of song. And I always wrote a song, brought it back, wasn't right, but the guy in charge was impressed by the fact that I did the assignment. And he switched to Elmo Music and signed me there. I mean, total serendipity. Although I'm so driven, you know, Bobby, I think I actually created the opportunity just out of self-will. There's something to that, that's for sure. There is. There is. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, WKBW. Oh. That was um, formative for me as well. I grew up in Pennsylvania, but KB was the clearest station besides what was coming out of Philadelphia. And I can remember listening to that all the time. Well, this is what I'm saying. And anybody on the East Coast knows that station. And I wish those guys were still there. So I could thank them. Maybe they'd play some of my songs. <laughs> okay, so you got to be a staff writer. What does that mean exactly? That means that we're told what people need, what songs, and we're asked to create songs for those artists. And it also meant pairing us up so that we wrote with different people all the time, which every song you write with somebody new has a different sound altogether. It's like there are three people in the room. There's you and this new body of energy th that we create being together. So I wrote all kinds of songs for all kinds of things with all kinds of great people. And um, my first song was sung by the Brady Bunch, if you can believe that. Mm, yeah. 
I knew somebody who knew somebody, and I, I got hooked up with a gentleman named Jackie Mills, who produced all the music for the Paramount shows, and he liked me. I was young and ambitious, and I wrote a new song every single day and took it into his office. And he had the contract for the Brady Bunch, and he liked my little songs because there are six kids on the Brady Bunch. None of them can sing. Certainly none of them in the same key. So the whole thing was Melly Vanilli, the whole thing. And when I heard my song on TV, I started screaming. I was so excited. I had rocks in my pockets, Bobby, to keep me from floating. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think. And do you know, to this day, I have never received an ASCAP statement that didn't have that song in it. Whether it's Estonia or the People's Republic of God knows where, that song shows up in my ASCAP. Now, what are the chances of that? That's pretty cool, actually. But it just goes to show you, well, two things. One is you get into sync very early. I mean, right in the beginning. And I don't, that was probably not the intent, right? Well, I wanted to write songs more than anything. I had nowhere to go back to. I certainly couldn't see myself at IBM with shoulder pads. I'd last maybe long enough to say, please excuse me, I have to go to the ladies' room. And then i just walk out. So I am where I'm supposed to be. I know that. You're known as a song doctor. And I'm curious, what does that entail? When people come to you, what are the problems that they normally have that you have to fix? When people come to me, I review their material in terms of the marketplace. So you may have the most gorgeous ballad, and who's looking for ballads now? Everybody wants rhythm, rhythm, rhythm. Boo, da da do, da da do, da da do. da So Lakin's laws give them what they want, and. If you don't write ballads, I mean, if you write ballads and need to write up-tempo songs, rhythmic songs, then I put you together with somebody who does that. And I go through your lyric and I look at it in terms of how does this work in the marketplace and who's going to sing this? Even if you're going to sing your own songs, is this going to work in the marketplace? Is the lyric conversational? Do we talk like this? My feeling is we should sing it like we sing it. So I go through the whole lyric and the whole melody, and I make suggestions like, take this out, say this twice, move this up, put this down, and add a bridge. <clears throat> There's no songwriter living, you know this, who, who doesn't hate writing bridges. Well, Molly, isn't it? You know, the chorus is, couldn't we just re repeat the chorus? I said, we could, but if they call you at three in the morning and they're in the studio and they're cutting your song, but they need a bridge, you're not going to be able to do it on the spot. So do it when you write the song. And if, if they don't want it, they can just cut it out. But to create it at three in the morning is not going to happen. 
So I get very realistic feedback in terms of the marketplace. And I'm very tough because the marketplace is tough. And a pretty good song has no chance. It's got to be a great song, and it needs to be hooked up with all the folks looking for what you do. And I know everybody. They know that if I call them up and say, hey, I want you to hear so-and-so, they listen. I'm like the E.F. Hutton of the music (laughs) business. Well, you know, you mentioned bridges. And uh, one of the things that I do is I analyze songs for my subscribers Whatever is the latest global hit, I'll take it and analyze it. One of the things that's happened in recent years is the disappearance of bridges, or what will happen is there's a chorus that there's a breakdown, there's something a little bit different that acts as a bridge. So how do you deal with that then? Well, my feeling is that the more changes melodically and rhythmically in a song, the better. People have ADD. People want it now, 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 now. They're on the freeway. They're stuck there for two hours, twice a day. And they want to just rock out on the way home. Either that or kill the guy ahead of them. So the more rhythm and the more changes you can put in the melody, the better. Because the audience is looking for surprises. I feel that on a scale of one to ten, Most of us live our nice lives around five or six. Nothing terrible happens. Nothing wonderful happens. Just a nice five or six. But when we listen to music, read books, go to football games, play video games, we want a plus or minus 15, the best thing that ever happened or the worst thing that ever happened. The ultimate of extremes. And what you're describing helps us do that. We feel we're walking around with missing the top layer of our skin. And we want instant gratification now. And we want it to keep surprising us constantly and forever. You know, it's funny. I had a, an actor friend that would always tell me, hit movie is really easy because all you have to do is make the audience laugh really hard once and make them cry really hard once. And when you think about it, that's kind of the same thing in any kind of entertainment, what we're trying to do. As you say, we're trying to take them to the extremes. And if you can't take them there, then they don't feel it. Then it's nothing special. Right. We live in the middle. So don't give us music for the middle. Yeah. Give us music to be the most beautiful woman in in love with the most dashing guy in the world who's going to take good care of us and we're going to take good care of him and we're all going to live happily ever after. Most people have settled for something they're not really happy with, but they're terrified to make changes, so they stay where they are. And with music, you can be anybody, you can go anywhere. Nobody judges you and there are no repercussions. Molly, I'm curious, you mentioned before about staying current in the marketplace and writing for what's happening now. I find with a lot of, especially older 40 plus, my subscribers, that they're writing for the 90s, the 80s, the 70s still, and they will not 
move forward on that? And and I'm sure you must get some of that as well. How do you deal with it? Well, I tell them this is a wonderful song, and if you'd written it 30 years ago, you would have had a shot. If you'd been in the band. Now, remember, a lot of these bands write their own songs. But this is 2022, and your music needs to sound like 2022. And people aren't recording those kind of songs. So you have two choices. Write them for yourself because it makes you happy. And if you could tweak your style just a little, I tell everybody, listen to what's on the Hot 100 Billboard charts. Find somebody who's writing and singing what you absolutely love that gives you goosebumps and write for that art. But change the process, change the results. You know that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here's something else. Now, this bugs me more than anything. And it's the one, four, five song. And it's like, can you not come up with something that's more creative than this? That being said, sometimes a song is so well crafted that you don't recognize it so much as a one, four, five. Well, in my book, Insider Secrets to Hit Songwriting, I go through very detailed uh, suggestions on how to create a melody. And I start with the melody, this individual notes. And once I've got the melody down, then I write the verse melody, one note at a time. And when I'm sure that that's the right chorus and the right verse melody, then I add the chords. Because if you play the chords first, the melody has to be, or the note has to be in the chord, so you're very limited. So I tell my people, put your left hand behind your back, sit at the keyboard, and just pick out the individual notes. I don't Do it anyway, and try it. And son of a gun, they get great results. But when you're used to doing something a certain way, you know this, how do you change it? It's like being left-handed, and, and I'm telling them to be right-handed. But I'm always focused on the result. There, uh, There's a whole chapter on creating original melodies in my book, Insider Secrets to Hit Songwriting in the Digital Age. And so this 145 thing, that came from Tennessee. And I'm sure there are lots of hits that were written that way. And a, and a young girl from from Nashville came to visit me when I lived in Santa Monica, and she wanted to write a song together. And I was playing keyboard, and she was playing guitar. And she says, well, we've done one, four, five, but nothing new seems to be coming out. So I showed her that method I just described to you, and she was stunned. And son of a gun, she went on to have a lot of hit songs. Her name was Holly Dunn. Unfortunately, she's not with us anymore. But that was an eye-opener for her as well as for me because it showed me how to teach somebody to change the process and change the results. Okay, let's go to your book for a second. So you've written a number of books, and the title is interesting because you're talking about the digital age. And let's face it, songwriting has changed now because of streaming attention spans, whatever. I haven't read your book, unfortunately, but I will. 
but I would assume that that's touched on in there. Well, first, Bobby, there's going to be a quiz, so you have to read my book. <laughs> but the digital age is like any other time in the history of music from the time the first guy gone, the first gone. And yes, streaming is killing everything, except for the streaming companies. But I tell my clients, and I'm happy to share this with your listeners, look for where the money is. Follow the money, right? Give me the money. Show me the money. Well, that's in placing your songs in movies and TV shows and commercials. Find out who the people are who are the music supervisors for all these shows and find out what they're looking for. Don't just send them songs. If if they're looking for a Rastafarian uh, gospel song, don't send them a hip hop. So I'm being facetious, but the point is that's where the money is. In fact, a performance on network TV these days, one performance, is worth seven thousand dollars, and a number one song earns two million four hundred thousand dollars, and a theme song for a TV show that runs for five years makes four hundred fifty thousand dollars. So there's money to be made. It's just not from the sources we counted on traditionally. That being said, everybody wants to get into sync these days. But the competition is a lot fiercer than it's ever been, I would say. Well, then it's up to the songwriter to write stronger songs. And it's not fair. I really hate the fact that the songwriter has to be the producer, too. So if you're not a producer, then you hook yourself up with somebody who is. And you work out that agreement. And you you give them what they want, Bobby. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. But so what? If you're good... You'll do better. Keep keep improving your craft. And networking is the biggest deal of all. It's not just sending an email. It's going to the gym. It's going to the church where all these people hang out. I know people who take yoga classes with the wives of all the CEOs. It's very calculated. but And go to these golf tournaments. The celebrity pro, a pro, uh, or what are what are those pro am whatever they yeah are. yeah play golf with them. If you're not friends with the guy after a round of golf, forget it. And people like to do business with people they know. It's the same in the car business, in the shoe business, in the corporate business. This is a business. Nobody is underwriting the arts anymore. So if it's tough, you got to be tougher. You know, you just mentioned about songwriter having to be the producer. That being said, there's so much production that's being done that's based around loops and samples, which is... I hate that. Uh, yeah, me too. I mean, it's self-limiting right away. I mean, how much can you do with just static chord changes, if there are any? So when someone comes to you that wants to do that, what do you tell them? Well, I, I have a production, a producer I use for my own songs, and I hook them up. And if the producer thinks that he can do right by the songwriter, he accepts the game. And if he can't, then he'll help me find somebody else. But I'm not looking for loops. I'm looking for someone who can produce a real honest-to-God, oh-my-God track. 
And the song, in everything, the song comes first. Nowadays, people sit down at their Pro Tools and they wail away. But there's no song. So start with a great song and then the production's only going to make it better. But if you don't have much of a song, the production isn't going to do anything. So people are expecting their production to save the song. Well, it doesn't work that way. Molly, I couldn't agree with you more. But the problem I see here is the fact that most of the hits are based on loops. And when you have songwriting camps, that's what they're doing. It's who can you know bring the best beats in. It's going backwards on all of this. Well, in some cases, yes. The kind of songs that I champion are pop songs and new country songs. And the dance people, hallelujah, you go do your dancing somewhere other than in my office because I don't know that market. Mm. Country songs have great melodies, sing-alongable choruses. I defy you to listen to the songs on the on the Hot 100 Billboard Country Chart, Bobby, and not sing along immediately with every single one of them. So it starts with a killer chorus. When I write a song, I always write the chorus first, one note at a time. Then when I have my chorus, one note at a time, I go to my verse, one note at a time, and then I add the chords. But the whole time, I've got and I do and I love you, baby, baby, baby. You know, I, I joke with my clients that I speak songwriting in every language. In German, it's Achtung, baby, baby. In Spanish, Mi amor, baby, baby, baby. <laughs> French, you know, yeah. it's always baby, baby, baby. Maybe if you use something other than baby, baby, you'd have a stronger song. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I get it. Okay, where can people get your book? My book is available at Amazon.com, and it's also available at the Simon & Schuster website. Can they get it off your website as well? Yes, you can get it at my website, which is songmd.com. And I'm very proud of this book. You know, I love it. I've written lots of others, but I love it. written it. I'd be in line in the rain to buy it. Yeah, it really sounds like something that hits the heart of what most people are looking for. Well, thank you. It does. And I appreciate your enthusiasm. Is there one thing that people don't know about what you do that you wish they knew? Well, I wish they knew that I am a nurturing critique. I give a nurturing critique. And I want you to be as successful as you want to be. But I will always tell you the truth. There are plenty of people who who will tell you you're a genius and take your money. But I want to make sure that when you come to me, you leave feeling excited and hopeful and that you have information that you got from our consultation that's going to make you happy and inspire you to greatness. Is there one major problem that you see from songwriters if you're just to take a bunch of songs, or, or through your career, was there one problem that keeps on popping up? One problem? Do you have three or four days? <laughs> I find that 
successful people, doctors, lawyers, businessmen, people who are really successful in their field want to be as good at their new career as they are with the predominant one. So they don't want to go through the learning curve. They don't want to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. They want to play Tchaikovsky straight out. They don't want to learn to write a verse in a chorus. They just want to hit songs. They want to be able to write songs at the same level they are in their main profession. I have, I have radiologists. I have ophthalmologists. I have every ologist in the world as clients. And they're constantly frustrated that, what do you mean? Don't they know me? They're well known in their field, but they're beginners. And what I take from that is... You have the success gene. You have the motivation. And you've been good at something, you've been great at something else. So we can translate all of that to songwriting. But first, you have to learn your craft. Once you learn your craft and you write a song a week and you listen to the top 40 every single day, you're going to be in line for anything you want. How long did it take you before you felt that, you know what, I got this, I, I know the craft? Because I've heard different things. I've heard some songwriters say, well, it was 100 songs, but others say oh, it's less than that. What was it for you? Well, my, my first song was um, from the song cycle about Big Newtons. And I, I had 12 of them, and I couldn't understand why Jody Mitchell and Carole King weren't just grabbing them and putting them on, and they released them as single. So I learned, I learned, I wrote with lots of people who were more successful than I was. They taught me what a hook was. They taught, taught me uh, what, what a storyline was. And when I was a staff writer, I was asked to teach a songwriting class at UCLA. And I said, what do I know about teaching? Well, I found out really quickly, and my first class at UCLA, Cheryl Benteen from the Manhattan Transfer was in the class. Look, look, look at her. She learned the basics of songwriting and took off. I also had three lawyers from Logan Logue, the most prestigious entertainment law firm. They're sitting in the front row. They didn't want to be partners in a law firm. They wanted to be songwriters. So if they were going to be that passionate, I felt it was my responsibility to teach them a little at a time so that they could shine. And they did. That says a lot. You're, and they also, every one of them came to me and said, gee, uh, could I come to your house and have a private lesson? And I thought, oh, my God, Sure. And I was saving up to buy a house, and I launched my songwriting consultants limited, and bought the house. Yeah. Well, very cool, Molly. Is there something that I didn't ask you that maybe um, you want to talk about? Yes, in my book Insider Secrets to Hit Songwriting in the Digital Age, I interviewed ten 
of the A-listers in our business today. They include Tim Whipperman, the publisher's publisher in Nashville. He's got the biggest job in music in the USA. Great guy, great ears, knows how to deal with writers, puts people together, and his success stories are endless. I interviewed Jim Andron, who's made a career out of writing jingles. I interviewed Patty Silvershire and Michael Silvershire, who have written children's music all their lives and are the most successful children's songwriting team since the Sherman Brothers. Now, we were all trying to be pop songwriters, and they decided they were going to do children's music, and man, have they ever done it. And they have great tips for all of us. There are lots of other people I interviewed, including J.P. Sachs, whose song was nominated for a Grammy. And their advice is just fantastic. So for $17.99, you can have a songwriting group. Last question, Molly. What's the best piece of advice that you learned along the way or maybe somebody imparted to you? Don't ever rely on somebody else to be as passionate about your success as you are. You are responsible for you and go after it. You can find out more about Molly her services, and her books at songmd.com. That's song, S-O-N-G-M-D, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There, you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. 